forgot the cross. Can you imagine that? Forgot to bring a cross, but we can still see the cross, amen, in our hearts. And one of the things that I love about the cross is that every race, culture, language in place. Isn't that great news just to think that every single race, every culture, every language in place, I love just to remind myself that the cross never fails. Jesus' cross will triumph victoriously over every square inch of this universe. And the victory of his cross will be seen all over the... Isn't that just spectacular? And so when I, we pray for these people, I pray with great confidence that God's going to do the extraordinary. This is just another group. It just amazes me reading these huge groups in India where there's not a single believer. You know, how can there be this group of 1.7 million people? There's never been a profession. They've never, I mean, we talk about a church on every corner. You know, they can't have a church on every corner. They, no one knows Jesus. And this people's name is the Balija, B-A-L-I-J-A. There's a picture actually of one. So they're Hindus, and they had a picture there kind of in the middle of a Balija man. Uh, from. Uh, they specifically are almost all, it says here, they drive their income from a variety of sources. Some trade in bangles, pearls, and salt. Others have turned to cultivation and land ownership, and a few have ventured into government and medical services. Very interesting talking about them, though. It says, surnames in India, I never knew this, surnames in India um, denote the clan or caste of a person. So if you have the surname Chetty or Naidu or Nayudu or Naker, that means you're a Belija. That you are a Balija people. They are Hindu, but the fact that they are not vegetarians, they won't eat beef, but they will eat other meat, and they allow the drinking of alcohol has resulted in them being considered the lowest of the low caste, and they have low caste status. They almost all live in southern India. Although caste is no longer legally recognized in India, it is very much alive as evidenced by the matrimonial websites that emphasize caste for arranging marriages, pictures posted by proud parents boasting of the offsprings of their, of the accomplishments of their offspring. As far as we know, there are not any believers among the Balija. Their clan is largely unreached, uh, but with the interactions of many clans in today's workplaces, they intermingle with others who have been introduced to Jesus. The best chance of reaching the Balijas where believers of other clans are cast to intentionally befriend them and share the good news that Jesus offers them. Pray for meaningful encounters for the Balija with those who truly follow Christ. May their lifestyle draw the Balija to want to know about this love of Jesus so that true salvation can come to the 1.7 million Balija. Pray for a great movement of revival to Christ among these people. Most of them in the south of India. They need Jesus, amen? And it's encouraging to know that uh, he will reach them, amen? It's not a question of will he, it's when and how, but uh, our prayers can be a part of that so someone might intercede for the Balija. <laughs> the Balijas in India. Yes. Savior. 
Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. Jonathan especially. You gonna be my good helper, Jonathan? There's the sin board. Nobody wants the sin board, do they? The sin board. That's over here, the nasty old sin board. All right, you see the sin board? All right. Well, I brought uh, gloves. You always know it's dangerous. Dangerous when I bring gloves, isn't it? So I brought gloves. <laughs> I can put them on you. No, John Mark, no, Allison. She said she would. No, she doesn't get them this time, maybe another time. So I'm going to put them on me, but I'll let her help me if she's willing. I don't know if I trust her. I don't trust her. No, if it's killing somebody, I'm out. No, it is not killing somebody. It may look like it, though, because what I have here, I do have, she wonders if it's killing somebody because she saw this. So she says, what is that guy doing? Nah. Hopefully we won't have to need that, but we have something here. Does anybody know what that is? Gorilla glue? Yeah, it's like super glue, except it's called Gorilla Glue. Yeah, you are right. Probably so. So I'm going to put the top over here, and I'm going to put some of this in his hair. No, no. On his, no, no, no. Okay. How about, uh, I have on hand, so we're going to do it here. This is slope. Ah, there it is. There it is. Well, after I get it all in my hands, I'm going to put it on somebody, but I haven't said who. <laughs> serious. She goes, serious. My my children never trust me because they have seen me. They have seen me do things that it is fair not to trust me. <laughs> no. So what I'm gonna come over here and where do you think I'm gonna put it? Where do you think, Jonathan? I'm gonna put it on the sin board. How about that? So I'm down on my knees and I put it. I'm on the sin board. Yeah, so, yeah, glue my hand to it. Glue my hand to it. And what happens, you know, is sin is like that, isn't it? So, you know, when you and I get stuck, I mean, uh, anyone who's honest, I mean, in my own life, um, you know, there are three things I always feel. I feel the dirtiness of sin. I don't know if you've ever felt that. There are times where I've just felt my soul so dirty, um, dirtier than my body ever could be. And I felt my soul sick. You ever felt just sickness? Not my body, but my soul. And, and I felt my soul enslaved. I hate that. 
because you know what there is in sin? There's P-O-W-E-R, isn't there? Power. So what happens is, although Jonathan looks so sweet and innocent, that's how Jonathan is. He's glued to the sin board. Yeah. And every one of us come into this world glued to the sin board. Amen? Yeah, not a pretty picture, is it? We're dirty, we're sick, and we're enslaved. And sometimes we can't stand the being dirty, and we can't stand the being sick, and we can't stand the being enslaved. But the trouble is it's a lot stronger than superglue, isn't it? And sometimes we try to get loose, and we, we find, we say, Lord God, I'm still stuck to the board. I, I feel dirtier and sicker. And, and I'm a slave, and this sin seems to be a tyrant, and I'm the slave, and I'm ruled by it. So we need something to get loose, right? And we've been talking about what must I do to be saved. So someone in the Bible might say, Brian, well, repent. What does repent mean? Turn away. So repent means turn away from your sin, Brian, just like Ezekiel says over and over when the Lord says, why, oh, why will you die? Why will you die? Turn and live. You know, your sin is a stumbling block to you. You say that you're rotting away in your sins. I take no pleasure in the death of anybody who dies. And the Lord cries, do what? Turn. Repent. Turn away. But then I find out there's a problem. What's the problem? I'm stuck. So I'm stuck. So I feel helpless. So what must happen? What do I need? What did God tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. I need a supernatural miracle from the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that went into the womb of Mary so that Jesus was conceived. That was a miracle birth. I need a miracle birth. I need the same Holy Spirit that went into Mary and conceived Jesus. I need that Holy Spirit to do miracles in me. Amen? Because I just can't. What must I do to be saved? I must be what? Born again because I need power. But is that enough? No. Now the beauty of being born again is miracles start happening. Amen? When the Holy Spirit begins to do supernatural miracles, then this dirty, sick, enslaved sinner finally founds out that I'm not bound. Wow. And then when God says, Brian, repent, all of a sudden, there's power. And I repent to turn away from my sin. But what do I do when I turn away from my sin? I can only turn away from my sin if I'm doing what? Turning to Jesus. People just don't realize that. It's impossible to turn away from your sin unless you turn to follow Jesus. That's what Sam has even talked to me about. He said, Brian, there are a lot of people that want freedom from this, but they don't want to do what? They don't want to follow Jesus. They want to be clean from their dirt. They're tired of it. They want to be freed from their slavery. They're tired of it. They want to be healthy, not sick. They're tired of it. But they don't want to follow Jesus. They don't want to trust and commit themselves to Him. You see that? They want repentance from sin without what? Faith. And there are other people who are the exact opposite. They want faith without what? Repentance. They want faith. They want to trust Jesus. They want to love Jesus. They even say, I love you, Jesus. They want to follow Jesus, but they don't want to give up their what? Sin. They don't want to stop. They enjoy it too much. So now do you see how all three of these go together? What must I do to be saved? I'm stuck. 
I must be born again. I can say that to every one of you in this room. You must be born again or you'll be damned in hell forever. I can guarantee that with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength. You must be born again. You must. And you must what? Repent. You do it. You must turn away from your sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you turn away from your sin, there's only one way. If you're turning to follow Jesus, to cling to Jesus, to learn Jesus, to love Jesus, He becomes the center of your life, and now your life is defined as I follow Jesus. You see why you need all three? Do you see why some places in the Bible it says you must be born again? And some places it says you must repent? And some places it says you must believe? Do you see how they go together? I must be born again because if the Holy Spirit doesn't give me the same power when He went in the birth of Mary, and if I don't have a miraculous birth also, I won't ever repent, I won't ever believe. But it's not only I must be born again, I must experience the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit where I stand up and turn away from my sin. I will not walk and live that way anymore, and I turn and I start walking the other direction. But the only other direction I can walk is if Jesus has my heart and I want to learn Him, love Him, live Him, and follow Him. I must have what? Faith. So all three go together. What must you do to be saved? You must be born again. What must you do to be saved? You must repent. And what must you do to be saved? You must believe in Jesus, all three. Amen? And so we're going to talk a little bit, especially about the last one. What is saving faith? That's a good question, isn't it? So let me pray and let's talk about that. Get rid of the board. Don't touch this now, okay? Jonathan, you can stay away from this. So I will take my glove off. Isn't that a good idea? Yes, and we will throw that away. We'll throw the sin away, amen? Amen. So let's pray. Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you for repentance from sin in Jesus' name, faith in Jesus, in Jesus' name, and miraculous Holy Spirit birth in Jesus' name. Would you teach us about, even as Madeline prayed for the unreached people, and started her prayer by simply saying, Savior. Oh, that's a great name. So we want to experience your saving love, and we invite your presence in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So I know you can give me the three answers now. We've talked about it. So uh, it's a great question, isn't it? What must I do to be saved? Shouldn't we be asking that question more often? It's amazing how people do that. Uh, I remember there was a friend of mine, and he was amazed about three weeks ago because somebody texted me, and their question, the whole text they sent me was basically um, one line, what must I do to be saved? They actually texted me that. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I answered back and responded to them, and they haven't talked to me since. You know, isn't that interesting? You, you never know what the Holy Spirit's doing in somebody's heart. I wanted to get together with them and have coffee. I wanted to do what John did in, in Second and Third John, meet face to face, meet face to face, and talk, or talk to them by phone, or talk to them by text, or if they want me to write a letter. But they just cut off communication. Isn't that interesting? What must I do to be saved? Boom! <laughs> communication cut off. No more questions. 
But you know at least three answers to that. So what must I do to be saved? What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? So you must be born again. Amen? Okay. What must I do to be saved? We show up on Pentecost. Peter's preaching. There are thousands of people. They actually ask him, what must we do to be saved? What does he say? Repent. You must repent. And then we come to the Roman jailer in Acts chapter 16 on the missionary journey. He's about to kill himself. <laughs> then praise the Lord, someone got to him before he plunged the knife in. And he cries out to them, what must I do to be saved? And what does he hear? You must what? Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance, faith, spiritual birth. We often hear the three different answers. But I, what do you think is the most common? I think the most common answer when someone says, what must I do to be saved is probably what? Believe. believe, don't you think? That's what most people say, believe or believe in Jesus. You need to trust Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus. So I believe that the most common answer is believe in Jesus or faith. But what is saving faith? You know, it's so easy to be misled, isn't it? What is saving faith? Jesus himself said, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to what? Destruction. How many go that way? Many. It's a narrow way and a small gate that leads to life and what? Few are those who find it. Then he goes on to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on the final day, Lord, Lord, and what will he say? And there, I mean, isn't that staggering? Think about that for a minute. Jesus said that in the Bible, that many people on the final day will call him Lord, and he'll say, you were mistaken. You were mistaken. So that's why it's so important to understand saving faith, because you can be what? Misled. You know, everybody in the world falls into one of four classes. Did you know that? Okay. They're people who are believers but doubters. So they really do believe. They really have been born again. They really have repentance. They really are Christian, but they don't have any assurance of their faith. As a second group that have not only faith but assurance. So they have grown into a biblical assurance. They believe in Jesus and know him, and they know that they know him. So they have both faith and what? Assurance. A third group is people who are not believers and they what? They know it. They're not a believer and they know it. Then a fourth group is people who are not believers but think they're believers. Scariest of all, right? So they have assurance of salvation when they're not saved. Is that not, I know, it gives you the chills, doesn't it, Madeline? Worst place to be. Worst place to be. To think you know Jesus when you don't. And so what we want to talk today is about saving faith. That's why it is so important to understand it rightly. Okay, so let's go back to the board. Amen. So Jesus in Mark 1.15, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, the king is here, and Jesus said, repent and what? Believe the gospel. Do you remember Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel? So repentance is always about what? When you're talking about repentance, what's the topic? You're always talking about sin. So anything when you talk about repentance, you're talking about sin. When you talk about faith, you're always talking about what? Jesus. Jesus. About Jesus. It's always about Jesus. And like we said, the starting place has to be repentance because if you don't know you're sick, you're not going to go to the what? Doctor. If you don't know you're dirty, you're not going to cry out to be what? 
cleaned. If you don't know you're a slave, you're not going to be crying to what? Be set free. So actually can be a good thing to learn about your sin because then you know, hey, I am dirty. Hey, I am sick. Hey, I am a slave. Isn't that a good starting place? And so we already talked about these, and I'm not going to go over them now, but it starts in your head, right? You've got to learn about your sin, about the pollution. You've got to learn that you're dirty. You've got to learn that you're a slave and learn that you're sick, right? What I call the hidden, horrible, hateful, helpless heart. You've got to learn about the reality of punishment. Hell isn't a joke. It's a grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. There is punishment for sin. It's not a joke. It has to get from your head down to your what? Heart. I call it the supernatural sorrow. Amen? Supernatural sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 is so powerful. The sorrow that is, a call, that is according to the world leads to what? Death. But godly sorrow that comes from heaven, that comes inside the heart, leads to repentance. A godly sorrow. Don't you need supernatural sorrow? And when you have supernatural sorrow, then the miracle happens, remember? You're not glued anymore because there was power from the Holy Spirit. And now what has happened? You're actually leaving your sin, a true turning. It is the most awesome miracle. The power of God is turning you away from your sin. Isn't that great? But what is He turning you to? Jesus. And faith in Jesus is the same thing. It involves all three, your head and your what? Your heart and your what? Feet. Discernment, desire, and doing. All three. True discernment, true desire, true doing. So it starts in your what usually? In your head. You've got to learn Jesus. Amen? You have to learn Jesus. Does that often take time? It does, to learn Jesus. Think about one of our greatest uh, invitations in Scripture that Jesus gives at the end of Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Have you ever read the context of that passage? It comes before. The verses before are Jesus rejoicing. In the verses before it says, Jesus is celebrating. I thank you, Father, that you hide these things from the prideful and the arrogant. But you reveal them to what? To babes. No one knows the Son except who? The Father. And no one knows the Father except who? The Son. And anyone the Son wills to reveal Him to. Well, who does the Son will to reveal Him to? Read the next phrase. Come unto me what? All. All who are weary and heavy laden and tired of their what? Sin. And I will give you rest for your souls. Be what? Yoked to me and learn me. Learn me. And you will find rest for your souls. You have to learn Jesus both who He is and what He's done. Now, we've talked about perfect Jesus many times here because it's nine things that are easy to remember. You hold up your hands. Perfect who? Perfect Jesus. Let's start with the first three. Perfect Creator, perfect birth, perfect life. You have to know that Jesus is the what? The Creator. He made everything out of nothing by the word of His power because He is Almighty who? God. You can't have faith in Jesus until you come to the place that in your knees you bow and say, Jesus, you're my almighty God. Amen? Creator. Yeah. 
perfect Jesus, perfect creator, came to what? Perfect what? Birth. You believe that he left heaven, almighty God, and entered the womb of a young woman named Mary and was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that staggering? Perfect creator, perfect birth, perfect what? Life. I'm just so thankful. I never get tired of the miracle of what the Bible calls justification by faith. That when I stand before God on the judgment day, I expect kneeling before Him. I'm going to be judged based on Jesus' life. Isn't that staggering? I'm not going to be judged based on who I am and what I did. I'm going to be judged based on who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Is that staggering? Jesus is what? Perfect. He's perfect. Did He ever sin? No, my report card is his grades. In heaven, Brian Wright's got perfect A pluses because I'm going to be judged on the life Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, not my life. Wow! Is that not a perfect life? <laughs> that my hope is that Jesus became a human being and lived the life I can't live. So I don't have to be perfect to be right with God. My righteousness, that's why I love the phrase, my righteousness is Christ's righteousness. Wow. Perfect creator, perfect birth, perfect life. Amen. Perfect what next? Cross, perfect resurrection, perfect reign. It wasn't enough for Jesus to live for me because I've got what kind of problem? A sin problem. And he had to be crucified on a cross so the punishment that would have burned my body and my soul in hell forever was all put on who? Him. He really took my place. Isn't that staggering? On the cross, Jesus chose to take my place so that all my judgments were put on his body and soul when he screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken them? My hell was being burned into him. Isn't that staggering? My hell burned his body and soul on that tree. All of it. How much is left for me? None. Isn't that staggering? That's staggering. He was crucified for me. He died for me. He paid the punishment for me. Is that not love? Perfect creator had perfect birth, perfect life, perfect cross, then perfect what? Perfect resurrection. There's the proof. How do we know so many religions, so many philosophies, so many ideologies? People look at me, how can I know that Christianity is true? Because every single person that ever started a religion or a philosophy or an ideology died and decayed, except one. <laughs> Death could not hold you. Grave bowed before you. <laughs> he did not decay and got up. Physical resurrection. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. He really is risen. He proved by His resurrection that He really is who He said He is. Hallelujah. Perfect cross, perfect resurrection. As Sam asked me about two months ago, where is He now? Good question, Sam. Now perfect reign. He ascended into heaven and took His seat at the right hand of the Father. He's on the throne of the universe. He rules everything, everywhere, every second. Hallelujah. Perfect Jesus, perfect reign. Amen? Amen. Perfect cross, perfect resurrection, perfect reign. Last three, perfect gospel. Perfect gospel. 
He really does have the power to clean my dirty heart, to heal my sick soul, to free me from bondage, to give me life, to give me abundant life, to give me eternal life forever. His gospel is the power to perfectly save me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Perfect return. Can't you feel it? Maranatha, Jesus is coming soon. I can feel it in my bones. Perfect return. The one who came the first time is going to come a second time. Really is going to be a day. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. Every time Pastor Joseph and I see each other, that's our greeting. We never see each other. He comes up and fists me. I fist him. I, it, one of us starts. It doesn't matter which one. One of us says Maranatha, and the other one says Jesus is coming very soon. That's how we greet each other every time we see each other. Maranatha, Pastor Joseph. Yes, Pastor Brian, Jesus is coming very soon. Amen, brother. He is. And then there'll be a perfect forever. Hallelujah, the last one. Perfect forever. Perfect new heavens. Perfect new earth. Perfect new universe. Perfect body. Perfect soul. Perfect everything for forever. I can't wait. What a gospel. And to have faith in Jesus, you've got to learn this stuff about who he is. The perfect creator, the perfect birth, the perfect life, the perfect cross, the perfect resurrection, the perfect reign, the perfect gospel, the perfect return, the perfect forever. You've got to learn about this guy. Is that enough to give you saving faith? Uh-uh. Has to get from your head to what? I do call it. It is the longest 18 inches in the world. This is the longest 18 inches in the world. Because there's so many people that have learned about their sin, but you know what's never happened? Supernatural sorrow. They've never had their heart really broken for their sin. Long as 18 inches in the world. They got all the Bible, all the theology, all the understanding. Never got the heart broken. And on this side, there's so many people that have learned about Jesus in Sunday school and everywhere else, but they've never fallen in love with Jesus. They have never had him become their number one desire and delight. I cannot tell you how important this is. You can't fake this. You can't fake it. I'm so thankful I could jump up and down, but y'all would really get frustrated because I get too loud anyway. But my heart burns for Jesus. <laughs> I'm so excited, y'all. My heart is on fire for him. I love him. He's my greatest desire. Allison thought we were nuts, but we're not. When, when Angela uh, told Allison and said, Allison, I want you to know I love Jesus way more than Brian. <laughs> she goes, say what? And I said, I got some more news for you, Allison. I love Jesus way more than I love Angela. Hallelujah. Desire. You can't fake that, can you? You can even try for a little while, but it doesn't last, does it? I love 1 Peter 1.8. That's the verse, isn't it? 1 Peter 1.8, you want to know about saving faith? 1 Peter 1.8, although you have not seen him, you love him. And although you do not see him right now, you believe in him, faith, and you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible on saving faith. It ain't enough for it to be in the head, is it? In the heart. I mean, think of those words again. Although you have not seen him, you what? Love him. And although you don't see him right now, you believe in him. And you greatly 
rejoice with a joy that is completely inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, true salvation of your soul, saving faith, saving faith. It has to get into your heart. And even that's not enough. It has to go from your head to your heart to your what? Feet. It has to get down to your feet. You notice I made this easy for you to memorize. I mean, it's all these L's, learning sin, lamenting, leaving sin, lamenting sin, leaving sin, learning Jesus, loving Jesus. Now you what? You lean on Jesus, and this always involves three things, and these are actions where your soul acts. It's not just intellect up here. It's not just feeling here. It's actual action in your soul. And that leaning on Jesus will always involve these three things. True trust, complete commitment, faithful following. Okay, let's start with number one, when you truly trust. I've used this story before, but it's the most powerful one I can ever remember when we lived down in Newberry and had a little fort outside, which you could climb up quite high. And Kristen was about two years old, and she was on the top. And there was a side to it, and I came over underneath and held my hands. Now, I mean, this was a long fall, not anything short. And I told her, I said, jump, I'll catch you. <laughs> and she says, will you? You going to catch me? I looked up at her, and I said, yes, you jump, I'll catch you. I'll admit that I was shocked myself. I could not believe she took that step. I don't think there are many kids that would have. She stepped out into air with nothing to hold her and fell a good 10 plus feet with nothing but the belief that her father was going to catch her, which I did. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, she could have said to me, Dad, I believe you're going to catch me, right? I believe. I, I, I trust you, Dad. What has to happen to prove she really trusts me? She's got to take the step, step of faith, step into the unknown. There's so many people that say they trust Jesus, but they never take the step. Wow. True trust. True trust. You know, there can be a bridge across a canyon, and I can ask Mark, hey, you know, it's about a half-mile bridge. I say, hey, Mark, you think that bridge is sturdy enough to have us go across that canyon? Mark says, yeah, Pastor Brian, I, I believe it'll hold us up. I say, okay, Mark, let's go. Mark says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't, you didn't tell me we were going to cross it. You just asked me if I thought it would hold us up. Uh, yeah, Mark, I, I, I meant that we would then walk it. No, 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 no. I, I believe it's a sturdy bridge, but I'm not stepping. That's not faith. Faith steps on the bridge. So it always has what kind of trust? True trust. The second thing, that's why you can't repent without what? I can't turn away from my sin without turning to who? Jesus. I have to truly trust Him. Now it's complete commitment. I'm committing everything I am and ever hope to be to Him. They used to have this debate. They called it the Lordship debate that you could have Jesus as Savior and not as what? What Bible are they reading? Wow, where, where in the world did that come from? I love 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and following. The love of Christ constrains us. 
And then what does the text say? We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who died and rose on our behalf. Amen? Amen. That's serious stuff, isn't it? You know, when you completely commit yourself to Jesus, guess what happens? Me, myself, and I is no longer the Trinity that rules your life. Now it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a new Trinity in charge, and your soul is completely committed no longer to me, myself, and I, but to who? Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Isn't that a great victory? Do you know what it takes for God to reach down in your soul and take your selfish, me, myself, and I-centeredness and break it so no longer is your selfishness ruling your life, but now you're committed to Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Don't you love 2 Corinthians 5.15? We no longer live for who? Ourselves. That's great, isn't it? The gospel's powerful. When the gospel comes, Joel, you no longer live for Joel. We no longer live for ourselves, but now we live for the one who was crucified for me and rose for me. I live for him. That's faith, isn't it? That's a complete commitment. No games. No more games there. No more games. And the last thing of what? Faithful following. That's why here I am glued to sin. Oh, I must be born again. I need power from on high. And finally the power comes and I turn. I trust Jesus with all my being and I'm completely committing. Now my whole life is what? A faithful following. Jesus goes straight, I go straight. Jesus turns left, I turn left. Jesus turns right, I turn right. What did Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice and they what? Follow me. Well, once he left earth, once he left earth and went to heaven, that can't be physical anymore, right? You know, they lived for him three years, you know. Jesus went to Bethsaida, they went to Bethsaida. Jesus stopped in the inn for dinner, the disciples stopped in the inn for dinner. Jesus slept outside in the garden of Gethsemane, they slept outside in the garden of Gethsemane. They just followed him where? Everywhere. Now with us, it's not a physical following, it's a spiritual following. You know, I can tell you that's the one joy when Angel and I got married. You know, people ask us some of the crazy things we've done. We got married and we've been in Hillsborough, North Carolina for just a couple years and sold everything we had and possessed to give me enough money to pay for one year of seminary. Had enough for one year. Got in the car and went up to Boston. <laughs> All the way to Boston. Had enough for one year. Graduated four years at Later with no debt. Wish I had no debt today, Joel, but then I did. <laughs> no debt. Didn't know any. God supplied everything for all four years. Stayed up there a lot longer than we expected. Seven years. Then they wanted me to become big pastor of a big church up there. But that's not what God said, so we left. Came to Raleigh. You know what we had in Raleigh? No job, no anything. Got in the car and drove a thousand miles with Two-year-old boy in the back seat. I didn't have any call into any church. Angela didn't have anything. We gave up everything and left. Does that make sense? Uh-uh. Went in Raleigh for a year. Went to Newbury, South Carolina for seven years. Seven and a half years. Happiest I've ever been in my life. Always told the, pat the people there I wanted to be buried in that graveyard. Bury me there. Bury me there. Why would you leave? Happiest I've ever been. The most joyful I've ever been. We left everything.
came to Raleigh. Stayed here, Calvary Church for 11, 12 years. Resigned. What, where, where's your calling? Don't have one. Why are you resigning? God told me to. He followed Jesus. All those major decisions Angela and I have made, we have never made those decisions without fasting, praying, seeking God's face, and waiting till the Holy Spirit wrote on our heart what God wanted us to do. And then once he'd done that, we could do it with face set like flint, no matter what anybody said, nor how crazy they thought we might be, because we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. It's the most awesome thing in the world to follow Jesus. Do I make mistakes? Oh, yes. <laughs> you listen to thousands. I'm so glad when I stumble and fall, he picks me up. When I get dirty, he cleans me off. When I get sick, he makes me well. He was like, what a shepherd. He goes and finds me out there in the briars, <laughs> picks me up and carries me back to the father's house, nurses me till I get well again <laughs> and says, just listen to me. I say, oh, Jesus, you're so good. I get dirty, you clean me. I do the stupid. <laughs> you rescue me. I get sin sick. You nurse me back to health. There's nothing more joyful than following Jesus. And then he doesn't have, isn't it amazing? He doesn't have any word of condemnation. He goes and gets you and brings you back to the Father's house. And all he does is nurse you back to health and look you in the eyes. No word of condemnation. All he says is, I love you. And then he says, follow me. And I say, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I want more of that. Following you. In faith, a beautiful thing. Real faith. You truly trust Jesus. You completely commit to Jesus. You Faithfully follow Jesus. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. I like this side way more than this side. <laughs> Let's block this now. I, I don't like talking about that side, but oh, how I like this side. Learning Jesus, awesome. Leaning, loving Jesus, awesome. Leaning on Jesus with a true trust, a complete commitment, and a faithful following. Awesome, awesome, awesome. That's what, what must you do to be saved? What must you do to be saved? I know everyone in this room. What you must you do to be saved, Sonia? <laughs> you must be born again. What must you do to be saved, Candace? You must repent. <laughs> what must you do to be saved, Madeline? You've got to trust in Jesus with a true trust, a complete commitment, and a faithful following. It's not a one-time thing, is it? You know, repentance is something that happens daily. I repent for my sin all the time. There's not a day I don't get up where I don't need repentance from sin in Jesus' name. But I'm not condemned because that's not, that's not where I stop. <laughs> because this is what I believe. I believe that he forgives me, loves me, heals me, changes me. I'm so confident of this that I don't let that get me down. Right? So it's daily repentance and daily faith. Repentance from sin and faith in Jesus because you have been born again. Amen? That's what you must do to be saved. Amen? Father, we do pray you'll just uh, teach us these lessons over and over again. What must we do? What must I do to be saved? Teach us about uh, spiritual birth, being born again. Teach us about repentance from sin. Teach us about faith in Jesus because this is true. And it is the only way to abundant, eternal life. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people say,